always a joy to worship with Christ Church. If you would open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, we'll be starting this week in verse 15, and we'll get to that in a minute. Last week, we looked at Paul's opening prayer for the church in the opening verses of Colossians. And there he is thankful for the proclamation of the gospel that's gone forth and has reached even the people in Colossae. And he's also thankful for their response, that they have believed the gospel. And he prays with intentionality that they would grow and that they would mature in their faith. And this week, we're going to zoom way out. We're going to look at the big picture. Paul is going to take us to the, the very wide, big story of creation. And he's doing this for a very specific reason, because by the time we get to chapter 2, he's going to be addressing issues that are facing the church in Colossae. And he wants them to have a firm foundation going forward. Now, he does all this in poetic language, in the form of a hymn. And song is very powerful. And so here we see Paul use this form of a hymn to help us see who Christ is. And so that's what we'll be looking at this week. So it's easy for us to get wrapped up in what we might think of as the mundane aspects of life, everyday life. You do your laundry, you mow the lawn, you get some rest when you can, and it can seem rather routine. And at the same time, we recognize the reality of sin in the world, that there's conflict, that there are uh, things that people do to one another that's painful. They sin against one another. And ultimately, we see the effect of sin, even death. And that's anything but routine. We see the brokenness of this world. So what's the point of seeing the big picture? What's the point of seeing this big story that Paul wants to zoom out and help us to get this big picture of Christ? You know, when we think about a big story, the grand story, we think of these large stories that some people think of as an escape from the mundane. For instance, in The Lord of the Rings, there's this cosmic battle between good and evil. And we see these great stories, and they have to resolve some conflict, right? And there's great cost in resolving the conflict. And even in movies, you see people turn that conflict up to max volume, right? If you look at something like Rogue One or uh, Avengers, you know, there's great cost, and people feel the weight of it, and they cry. As C.S. Lewis said, we are too easily pleased. So the grand story is not a distraction. No, in Colossians, Paul shows us that Christ is the center of the true story. So in Colossians, we see the supremacy of Christ helps us to see the cosmic weight of redemption. And when I say cosmic, I mean all of creation, both the material world and the spiritual world. In today's passage, Christ's supreme worth is declared. The material world is no match for him. The spiritual world is subject to him. And this great victory over death belongs to him. And so Paul sets this before us in the form of a hymn, poetry in the Greek language. And it may have been a hymn used by the early church. Now, the content of this hymn is the nature of who Jesus is. It talks about his deity. 
And so that could be somewhat intellectual, somewhat academic, and there's, there's good ground for that. There's a reason why we want to understand who Christ is in order to defend our faith. But Paul sets this in terms of poetry. He draws in the heart. And Paul connects truth with our affections here. Here's what we can't comprehend, and here's the mystery. Right? This story is about a world that will be restored, where all things will be made right. Christ accomplishes redemption, and the weight of glory is applied to us. It was for our sake and for our salvation that he came. So the way we naturally see the world is out of our own eyes. We see it from our own vantage point. And this story is more set in terms of our interaction with the people around us. Right? We see the brokenness of the world. We see the way people treat us. We see the way they treat each other. The effects of sin. And sometimes the very lasting effect of sin in each of our lives. And the reality of death. And so each of us in our own way, we try to work things to our advantage. We try to be able to manage and control our lives. We want to be able to control those situations and circumstances that drive our lives. And some people are able to do that to some extent. But the truth is we are weak and we are unable to control the world around us. And so Paul offers us this radically different view of the world Christ is supreme over all creation. All the circumstances of our lives, all the events and currents of this world that we cannot control, he is supreme over them. And we need to see that he is the one who will rule the world in the end. And we could be a part of his kingdom, or as we looked last week, a part of the domain of darkness. And so the Colossians needed to see this, this grand vision of who Christ is. And what he came to accomplish. So the false teachings that they were faced with paled in comparison to the glory of Christ. The false teachers reduced the conflict down to a smaller struggle. And in their context, it was full of superstitions, appealing to a festival, observing a ritual. And how can those things compare to Christ? Performing a ritual well will not manipulate God into favoring you. Praying an eloquent prayer will not be what brings you to God. It's not the eloquence of the prayer. We need a shift in our perspective. Christ is supreme over all creation. We need to realize that everything changes when we realize that. Nothing will be the same. Christ is God who rules over all things and is sufficient to redeem us from our sin. And if we are his, we have nothing to fear. Let's read in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there we see Christ's supremacy over creation proclaimed. And because he is the creator and participates in creation, he's also going to bring the creation back to right. There's a new creation that's coming. And so he is supreme over redemption. And then we know that that's applied to individuals, to people like you and me. And so Christ is sufficient for your salvation. Let's look back at verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. It opens here with the image of the invisible God. Christ reveals God to us. The invisible God is made manifest through the Son. There's lots of other passages that talk about this. In John chapter 1, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 14, Jesus speaking of himself says, Those who have seen me have seen the Father. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, there's a, it's a, almost a parallel passage to the passage we're going through this week. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in Christ, the invisible God is made visible. And they're of the same substance. God's character is further revealed to us through Christ. It also says that he's the firstborn there. The firstborn from the dead later in the passage. So this word is used mostly in Scripture. It has a very specific usage. It means preeminence of position. First, greatest. It doesn't necessarily just mean birth, but it definitely means birthright. So it has this idea of inheritance. Jesus is the one who will rightly inherit the world. As the creator of the world, he's the one who has the right to inherit it. And so it's been accused sometimes or argued that Jesus is part of creation. And firstborn means that he's just another created being. And really, if you read the passage in context, that's not at all what's being said here. The passage is emphasizing that he is the firstborn of all creation. It's showing his preeminence. 
that he is above creation. He's the greatest of all creation. Now, we understand the idea of the God-man, that God and fully God and fully man in Christ. This implies that Jesus is actually separate from the created world. He's not a created being. Verses 16 and 17, as it continues on, it talks a lot about, or it uses all these prepositional phrases, for him, by him, and through him. And we see here that Jesus participates in creation. And so there's different roles for each person in the Trinity. God the Father, the Spirit participates in creation. And here we see the Son participates in creation. So what's the Son's role in creation here? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For by him all things were created. It says all things were created through him and for him. I would submit to you that Jesus is the architect of creation. Think of the idea of an author and a book. Or a painter and a painting. When you read a good book, you want to read more. Right? The book points to the author of the book. It shows us the, the genius, the art of the author who was able to write the book so well. And so the, the book stands alone as a work of art, but it points to the creator. This created world points to Christ. It points to the God who created the world. And so creation exists to display his glory. It also talks about heaven and earth, visible and invisible in this passage. And also talks about rulers, dominions, and authorities. And so the question is, what, what is that? Is that earthly dominions? Is this spiritual dominions? Now, there's uh, multiple ways you could take the word heaven. And one way would be to look at just the sky, the heavens above us. Another way to look, would be to look at it as the spirit realm. And then a third way would be the, the seat of God, the throne of God. And some people would argue that this is the throne of God. I think in the context, this is actually pointing more at the spirit realm, the, the invisible, the, the things that we don't readily see. And I think that's going to make more sense as we get into chapter 2 with some of the things that uh, uh, the, uh, the, the heresy of the Colossian heresy is dealing with. But for now, what we see is that God is ruler over both the material and the spiritual world. And for us as Americans, the idea of the spiritual world is somewhat foreign to us. We don't understand that. If you go back to antiquity, to ancient times, people had a healthy respect for that, the concept of a spiritual side to the world. And even in other cultures, other societies, today there is a healthy respect for the spiritual. If you look at uh, Shinto, the native religion in Japan, every object is inhabited by some sort of spirit. Right? If you look at um, e- even folk Islam, you have the jinn, right? the concept of, of spirits. And there's, uh, if you go across and do a survey of all the, the, the peoples of the earth, you will see uh, these different uh, ways in which they, they recognize the existence of a spiritual realm. And many of them fear the spiritual realm, right? That's why they, they practice certain things in order to manipulate the spirits, to control the spirits. They want to gain favor of the spirits uh, because they have, in their mind, they affect their everyday life. 
Now, in America, we have a different sort of problem, right? We, we don't admit the existence of God at all. We think that there's nothing but a material world around us, and so you die and that's it, right? So eat, drink, and marry, and for tomorrow we die. And both of these are heresies, right? One, one heresy mixes the creator of the world with the spirit world and puts them on the same level as, as created beings, and then the, the other heresy denies the existence of God. It says there is nothing beyond this material world that you see in front of us. And in this passage, I would submit to you that Paul says that God is supreme above both sides here. So we, we need to think almost in terms of, of three different things, right? Don't mix God with the spiritual. Don't mix God with the material, right? He reigns, he rules above both the material and the spiritual, both the visible and the invisible. And so the material and spiritual realms were created by the power of Christ. And he's not just supreme over creation, but something's wrong with this world, right? We see conflict in the world. We see pain and we see the effects of sin. And we know that something needs to be made right. And so Christ is supreme over redemption, there will come a time when he will make all things right again. And so redemption means that the created order will be restored to the way God had intended. So what's wrong will be set right. Sin, death, and decay will give way to restoration. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he is the head, the beginning, the firstborn. He's the one that blazes the trail for us. He goes before us. He's the firstborn from the dead. And we are the body, the church. The resurrection is the hope of the church. And the head and the body, they go together. And so know that the one who has gone before us is also the one who created the world. It sounds a lot like Romans 8, right? The one who intercedes for us is the one who could rightfully condemn us. But how will he condemn us if he's the one interceding for us? In verse 19, it also talks about, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So it pleased the Father. And it says all the fullness dwells in him. That's a great summary. It's not like Jesus was just some man sprinkled with a bit of deity. It's not like he was just some person that was elevated for some special purpose, the chosen one. All the fullness of God dwelled in him. The idea here is one of completeness. The full measure of deity rests upon him. This is consistent with the early Christian creeds. Fullness implies totality. It says that he will reconcile all things to himself. So in this passage, it ends with by the blood of his cross. But what does he reconcile? He doesn't reconcile just some things. He reconciles all things. All of creation will be impacted by the restoration that Christ brings. 
So the supremacy of Christ is not opposed to the cross. There, there is an idea out there that uh, is sort of in our modern society and culture that despises shame, right? And says, if Christ is really supreme, how could he die on a bloody cross? But God makes his will for salvation known through the cross. And here in the Christ hymn, Paul unashamedly points out that Christ will reconcile all things to himself by the blood of his cross. The architect of creation is the one who will restore the world. So redemption, it's holistic There's nothing outside of the work of Christ. It's both personal and cosmic. It affects individual people. And it will affect the whole world. Right? No more will thorns and thistles infest the ground. Right? It's both positional and it's sanctifying. It's where do you stand before God? Are you justified? And God is conforming you to his image as a new creation. And is both physical and spiritual. He will remake the world. And so the end goal is that Jesus will restore all things to right. There's completion here. We have no need for another mediator. God is working towards an end for all things. And Jesus is the focal point of creation and the new creation. The restored order of the world will be brought before the Father. So, do you believe this? Or do you functionally act as though Christ is not supreme? What about your personal struggles? Do you have a compartmentalized view of your own life? Is, is Christ uh, a book among many on the shelves? Is Christ a few hours among many in your week? Is this one thing that you do, one thing that you believe? Paul says here that Christ is supreme over all creation. There's so many takeaways here. We should seek restoration as far as we can. We should be reconciled to God. We should be peacemakers as far as our interaction with others. We should seek peace with those around us. We should give glory to God because redemption is his work. And there's finality and completion in his salvation. And we can rest knowing that his victory is secure. And so Christ came to redeem sinners. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, I am the worst. So recognizing that need for redemption, we need to seek dependence upon Christ. Now, there's two parties here, God and people. There's one messenger. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ. And his supremacy in creation implies his sufficiency for redemption and for your salvation. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In verse 21, we see our natural state, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is very close to Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go look there this week. And then verse 22 contrasts with our present condition as being redeemed. For those who believed in Christ, they are reconciled, they're presented holy and blameless, above reproach. This means that there is a change. And the means of that change, it's Christ's death. The impact is that they're presented holy and blameless. And then in verse 23, we see a life that's subjected to Christ. Paul talks about the gospel going forth again in his own life in light of the gospel. There is one gospel that's proclaimed by God's servants, among whom is Paul. And in all creation, the rest of creation didn't get a different gospel. Right? There, there is one gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that the Great Commission is complete, but it means that there's one message that has gone out to all people. And there's also a contrast here. In the, in the next passages, in future weeks, when we continue in Colossians, we'll see that the message of the false teachers, it serves their own purpose. But the message of Christ brings life. And so Paul's life is given over for this work of proclaiming this message. He makes himself subject to Christ. And those who look to rituals or special knowledge, they're making themselves subject to the world, to the creation. And Paul's saying, no, don't subject yourself to the creation. Subject yourself to Christ. Because the Son is the one who will present the restored world to the Father. Subject yourself to Him. There's also a warning here in this passage, in verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, The warning comes to those who believe. And it sets us up for Colossians 2. In, in chapter 2, they are being challenged with a different gospel. And Paul is telling them to cling closely to Christ. Don't turn to other gospels. It's not unlike in Hebrews. In Hebrews, you see this cycles repeated of where the author of Hebrews will present you with an Old Testament passage and then explain the passage and then make this admonition to you to cling to Christ. And then there's a warning that says, don't turn to other Gospels. Paul's doing something very similar here. So don't be persuaded by false teaching. Stay true to the one true Gospel. And know that your hope is found in nowhere other than Christ. And this is one of the reasons why we take communion together. Right? We proclaim together that we affirm a common faith in Christ. Right, we proclaim the gospel is the only means of coming to God through Christ. And we affirm one another's faith, the validity of our confession of faith. And so the Christ hymn is this beautiful, poetic language. And it says a lot about the person of Christ. The Colossians were being challenged by this false teaching. 
And what challenges us today? Where are our idols? What do we subject ourselves to? You know, common things people would bring up would be money. Where do you, where do you place your money? Where do you place your time? What do you love? Contrast those with Christ. Do you subject your life to those other things rather than to Christ? Whether it's the material world or the spiritual world or common idols that we deal with every day in our lives, do you subject your life to them rather than to Christ? And what Paul is showing us is that Christ reigns supreme. He is supreme over creation, both material and spiritual. He's supreme over redemption, whole and complete. And this redemption applies to those who believe. He's sufficient for your salvation. So has that redemption been applied to you? And have you placed your faith in Christ? If you're unsure, if you're unsettled, if you see Christ as just a moral person, a way, I would encourage you to consider Colossians 1 carefully this week. He is the only way. And as he says in John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is Christ just a means for you to live life well, to be good? No. We need to know who Christ is. And we need to be assured of our own place before him. And I'd encourage you to, to, to look to Christ. And this is why he came, to set all things right. Sin and sorrow will cease. And then the question is, does that apply to you? Have you placed your faith in him? So this cosmic story, this grand narrative... The true story, it runs through all creation. It pulses through the world. And the universe is centered upon him. It's about him. And it's not about us, at least not in the way we might think. When you zoom in and you break it all down to look at the individual, we don't see the mundane. No, instead we find broken individuals, broken people, who are nonetheless created in God's image. The ones for whom Christ died. And that grand story includes people like you and me. It's not distant, nameless, and faceless. The God who created all the world, who is transcendent, and above all, is the same God who speaks to us. He's both infinite and personal. And so this God who's greater than all things, who created all things, that through him all things hold together, is the same God who's concerned about you. And here's the mystery of the ages, that Christ came to set all things right, and this restoration, it will come. And this redemption is applied to those who believe, and this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But we're going to get to that next time. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for Christ. Help us to see that he is supreme. And help us to live life in light of that. Help us to know that our struggle is not just in our everyday struggles that we, that we become consumed with. But help us to see our lives in light of Christ. And to be able to look to him. Because salvation is found in no one else. And so in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.